0: You know, I, I always thought of that as um, I did it nine and a half years in Manhattan North Homicide Squad as a boss and I had the A-team and I had some great uh, interviewing interrogators in my team. And after a while, when you have people that are so good at that, you, you get spoiled and you expect them always to get a confession or admissions because they're so good, you know? Yeah. And sometimes when you have nothing else, you just pray that, oh, I hope this guy gives it up, you know. I yeah. hope he gives it up. And you know, and some brilliant, um, brilliant trickery. There was a murder of this young girl in uh, the confines of the three old precinct. She was 13 years old, and these two guys burglarized the apartment. And uh, as they were coming into the apartment, there was video of them coming into the apartment. And one of my detectives, Joe the Lip, showed them the video, and they go, "Hey." that's us, you know? And then he showed the video of them coming out with the proceeds of the burglary. They go, hey, that's me too, you know? Yeah, 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 And the video was horrible. You couldn't ID
1: anyone, but they both admitted, yeah, that's us in the video. Yeah, that, that's great, that's great. You know, going back to what you were saying, as a boss, having guys that, that listen, not everybody's great at interviewing interrogation. Not everybody's great at testifying. So you know who your people were, but I, I worked on a, on a very high-profile homicide where these guys were like serial killers. It was the the murder of Robert Zink, uh, who was a retired sergeant. He was retired two months. He was killed. But the case went on for weeks. But I just happened to be in a surveillance van the day that we, we identified who the perpetrators were. And when the perp came out of the house, I jumped out on foot. I was It was right at the change of tour. There was a lot of radio traffic. And I was trying to get through to the, there were four unmarked cars in the area, waiting, you know, if he came out, that we're going to jump on him. And a guy happened to walk down the street My perp had a a backpack on, and just a a guy like 20, 30 feet behind him also had a backpack on, so they converged on the wrong guy. So I get the guy, I take him by myself, I start putting handcuffs on him. They converge, and when the when the perp sees all these guys, he becomes real scared, and he didn't know that we knew what we knew about him. So when I got him in the car, he's like, "What's going on?" I got so I was like, "You know what the fuck's going on, motherfucker?" He says, "You know what you did, you know." (laughs) And I just tried to put a scare into the guy turned, you know, the color went out of his face. He turned white and he looked at me. He goes, this is about the cop, isn't it? So I knew I had him right there. You know, we get back to the precinct. Now, there was a task force for him because it had happened in transit. And uh, uh, there was 20 detectives, you know, we're working on this thing for a month. So when I kicked the door open to the squad room, I opened the door and he walks in. He sees them. So he's real scared. So I get my partner, get him in the room. We start to toss him. And he starts saying, listen, he goes, I'll tell you guys everything, but I just want to visit with my wife before I go away. I said, listen, whatever information you give me, if it's good, you'll get the visit. We'll feed you. We'll do whatever. So he starts giving it up. All of a sudden, bosses come in, banging on the door. I says, you know, get away from the door. We had the door locked from the inside and a lieutenant from the homicide squad says, no, come out right now. I go out. He goes, listen, he goes, "I I don't want you to be offended. I says, look, the guy's giving it up. He goes, I don't want you to be offended. This is a high-profile case. I want to send he, – he sends in a, a guy from the homicide squad and a guy who had more time than my partner from the 6-0 squad. Yeah. So I was pissed. I go to my desk. I start taking my shit off. The detectives come flying out of – one of the guys, the guy from my squad, comes out. He goes, don't go anywhere. I go, what do you mean? He goes, he'll only talk to you. And he runs into the boss's office. You know, the inspector was in there and yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. The chief of detectives. So the second detective comes out and he tells me, he goes, what'd you tell him? I only to talk to you. I says, what are you fucking nuts? I says, this is a cop murder. I don't give a shit. I says, I'd never do something like that, you know? So the lieutenant comes back over with his head down he's like, would you guys do me a favor and go back in there and get a confession out of the guy? We'll go back in and sure enough, the, the guy told us about murders we didn't even know about. It. They, wow. they, they, these two guys were horrific serial killers. It was really, really something. They gave up obviously the, the sergeant they killed and they gave up all the rest of the stuff as well. So having the right people in there, if you know the flow is going good, it really don't matter who it is, but having the right.
0: You you know, something is like, especially high profile cases, there's so much politics to it. And sometimes decisions are made by people that aren't even in the building. You know what I mean? And uh, you got to listen to your detectives, you know, and someone like you came out and said, look, he's giving it up. Why would you put two more, two different guys in there? And I know there's politics
1: involved, but, you know, he's giving it up to you, you know, and it's a cop homicide. You know? at, at the time, I know what the policy was. Guys were looking for grade. Yeah. I, was, I was fairly new in the squad. I had only had my shield for two years. And, you know, they, they figured if they put a guy in that's got time, he's on the, on the grid maybe, it's going to get pushed up, he'll get grade out of it. That's what it was about. And maybe they, you know, maybe because it was high-profile, they didn't want to got, my partner had much more time than me. My partner had been in the squad a long time and they took him out of the room as well. So that's why I thought it was a great thing, but they quickly learned that uh, that almost blew up in their faces, you know? Yeah. You know, I had a case one
0: time where uh, the two detectives It was actually was uh, the murder of a 90 year old Holocaust survivor in, in Manhattan. And the two detectives that were interrogating the perp had been up for like two days and I could see, they weren't gonna get it. They were just not even close to getting it. Right. I went into the room I said, guys, would you come out? I go, look, I know you're probably not gonna like this, but let me put someone in there who's fresh, that knows sure. the case. You guys, I could just see you're not gonna get it. And they they were cool. They were like, Sarge, you're right, man. We, we hit the wall. We're not gonna get it. Fresh detective went in there. 15 minutes, he had like a full confession, you know? Yeah. So you gotta sort of judge it. You gotta watch, you know, your people. You know, you watch the interrogation. And you know, I put this guy in, there and he was brilliant. He was just took a whole different tack to the interrogation than they were taking. Sure, it, it just the
1: guy confessed. So you know, to- the the person you're interrogating to has plays a lot into it too. I've been in interrogations where the the perp didn't like my partner, and says, "Listen, I ain't talking to you with him in here." And I said, "Do me, a, you know, whoever it was," right. and it could have been me, you know. And you got to go with what you. Your instincts are telling you is the right way. And when a guy says he's going to, like, in, in that case with the, with the cop homicide, when he said, I'll tell you everything, all I want is a, a visit with my wife before I go, he knew he was going away the rest of his life. Before oh. I go away, I want to visit my wife. We got a hold of the wife. We got him a sandwich. We brought the wife in the room in between all of the interrogation, you know? So we tried to, you know, and. Over the time, uh, I've been in uh, service training where they say, oh, don't ever give a guy a cigarette. He can, it's uh, 4,000 degrees if he puts it out oh, on your skin. But yeah, yeah. If, if a guy's telling me, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give up a murder. I'm giving him coffee, cigarette. I'll give him a, I'll give him a scotch if well, you it's want. It's like we had, we had some idiot from inspections. They only allow like, you know,
0: $2.50 for a meal. And they said, how come you spent $50 feeding this perp? Why? Uh, because he's giving up a murder. You think right. they're going to give them $2.50 green room dinner? What do you care? But they had no concept of why
1: we would do that, you know? Listen, I mean, I'm, the city didn't want to pay for it either. Of course. Listen, I knew, not me personally, and I'm not trying to cop out, but I knew of detectives that they work working a murder case, a high-profile case, and the guy says, I want to go visit my girlfriend, the guy who's giving it up, they let him have like a conjugal visit. <laughs> I know it for a fact, you know, yeah. guy testified to it not long ago in court, you know? So, yeah. but uh, listen, you do what you got to do within the bounds of the law to get the case. You know, listen, you're given uh, an unbelievable uh, amount of, of uh, you know, it, it, when you're the detective on the case and you're given that, responsibility to solve that murder. You know, the first couple of murders that I worked on, I didn't realize it. It took time. I'm speaking for the dead person as far as getting justice. So you're given that responsibility. It's a lot of weight on your shoulders. Well, who is it? Uh,
0: Vernon Gebberth, who uh, wrote the book Practical Homicide Investigation. The very first page of the book is We Work for God. Yes, yes. That's what he said in the book, you know. We work for God, because who knows who killed this person?
1: See, that's what I think civilians don't really get in their mind. Guys go to work, detectives, police officers, whatever. Nobody goes to work with bad intention in their mind. So if I'm doing a homicide case, and everybody I work I could speak for every detective I ever worked with. We never wanted to put an innocent person in jail. We no, wanted to put an innocent person in jail, you know? And so when you have that responsibility on your shoulders, it's your case, you'll do things that maybe aren't, you know, you're going to spend more than two fifty on the guy's meal or give him a cigarette or you're going to give him, like I said, I'll give the guy a scotch if he's going to tell me what I you know, think him here. So, yeah. and this is what we do. And, you know, I think for the most part, everybody's got their heart in the right place. Uh, you want to try and do the right thing. Going back to the Goldfarb murder, I just got to say a couple of things. Number one, there is no one detective that solves the case from the onset why do you in, why do you interview the first officer? Because that first officer might've saw something that got kicked out of the crime scene. You interview EMS that pronounced dead, you interview everybody. And all of these different things, like the, on that homicide, when I got to the scene, there were detectives from the housing that were already doing the canvas. So, you know, maybe in this particular t- case, they didn't find the witness that broke the case, but the next door neighbor did. And so my point is, it was my case, I didn't solve the case. There were two things that really were responsible for the solving of that case. One was putting it on television, which happened to be something that the, the witness that came forward and played on her conscience saw. And the other thing was Sergeant Buddy Manane, who decided, you know what, let's go do a re-canvas. It was a cold case. It had gotten cold over the few months. So those two things. And I always say, anytime people talk about a cop and they say, oh, you know, he solved the case. Nobody does it on their own. We're all, it's, no, it's, I mean,
0: you know, they say that they, there's one TV show, I won't say the guy's name, but uh, he claims to have solved personally solved 300 murders. That's absolute bullshit. First of all, as you said, not one person solves a murder. There's a whole team. Homicide investigation is a team sport, you know? And yeah. without that team, and patrols involved in as part of that team, too, you know? Yeah. Patrol and detectives and uh, You know, EMS, fire department, all these people come into that whole team
1: of 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 solving a homicide, you know. Well go ahead. Why would why would we interview EMS if it wasn't important? Why would we interview the first officer? We always interview the person that called nine one one. These are parts of the investigation. And it's it's not always the case detective that does all of those things. Like on, on that particular day, I was inside the crime scene with the crime scene unit and the guy who was assigned from housing and the bosses, and we were trying to do the crime scene, there were other people doing the cameras, talking to people outside, talking to people in the building. Right. So, you know, there are times, yes, when there is one person, the case detective, he'll have some turning point in the case where he picks up a piece of evidence or he puts it together, or he gets a, convection, a confession out of the perp. Yes, 100%. But I really don't think there's, for the most part ever, uh, one person that goes from the start to finish that solves the case, you know?
0: No, no, definitely not. You know, Phil, we're almost, uh, we're, we're at like 52 minutes, 53 minutes, and, okay. uh, I feel like we could stay here and talk all day, but- Oh, absolutely, you know, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I feel that, you know, this, this case, uh, the murder of Dorothy Goldfarb, what a shame you had the right perpetrator, but, uh, the jury didn't convict. And uh, it happens sometimes. You know, uh, it's not only the OJ case where there's yeah. a truckload of evidence, but in this case, there wasn't a truckload of evidence, but you had the right guy. And I'm sure if you followed up and looked into the life of that guy, Free, he had a miserable life. I'm sure he's probably back in prison. because He's, uh,
1: he's probably in prison or dead. And you know what? At the end of the day, he's going to be judged by the guy upstairs. And uh, unfortunately, you know, we don't always get, the conviction we don't always get the result that we're aiming for we look for we don't always get justice but uh maybe justice came upon him in another way you know
0: yeah i think you're right so uh phil you got anything you want to plug got any new tv shows or anything else like that coming up well
1: a- as you know me and you met on uh, on the show the perfect murder and I, right. I, I, I always <laughs> i don't want to shamelessly that. plug that you know <laughs> I, I always talk about that when I, when, you know, I did three episodes of that show. And uh, I always say, you know, the, the first day, because, you know, when Ricky said to me, you want to play a detective on the show? And I said, yeah, I thought he was kidding. And, you know, a few days later, I was standing uh, in Queens there, and they were putting marks at my feet. And if, <laughs> if it wasn't for you, I swear, if it wasn't for you, I mean, it was kind of nervous, you know, and you had said to me, Phil, don't worry about it. You just just do what you normally would do and you being the kind of guy you are you worked in the squad you were in the homicide squad so we gelled pretty good and I think I think we did a pretty good job yeah, at, I think we did too <laughs> and we really didn't go with the script we went with you know we knew the story and we just kind of I'd ask a question you'd ask a question I you know we went like yeah, that we just we just some it like you do in real life yes yes yeah yeah I, I think I might have told you The Oxygen Network had contacted me about uh, the murder of a relative of mine in in Brooklyn that I was kind of plugged into the case a few years back. So I'll be doing that sometime at the end of the month, just talking about the victim. And uh, who knows? I I, I spoke to them about some of the other... I actually spoke to them about this case, so maybe they'll profile this case too.
0: Well, it's great, man. I wish you the the best of luck. And uh, this has been Phil Grimaldi, retired NYPD detective, second grade, who... uh, had a pretty storied career, retired in 2003. And of course, this is Police Off the Cuff. And these are real crime stories, and uh, which means they're true. <laughs> so this is, I'm Bill Cannon, your host. Bill, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was great. Thank you so great.
1: much for having me, Billy. Stay safe. God bless. And uh, the uh, Blue Lives Matter.
0: You're right, brother. Good talking to right, you.
1: Take care, brother. <laughs>